0: Before you just picked up from Angela's Pizza, some scouring powder fell in there. Don't eat it. Hey, I uh, hope you try your phone machine before dinner. Welcome to 200 A Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta, And I'm Epidio Ravishaw. And we are at a inflection point in our show. (laughs) (laughs) This is
1: usually the spot where we explain how we chose the episode because we're not doing them in chronological order. Um, and
0: <laughs> note to listeners in case you haven't realized, we're yeah. not doing them in chronological order.
1: Um, and from this point out, it's unlikely that you're going to get a, a really good answer to this question. Because Well, no,
0: we have a very well, good yeah. answer to this question, which is from here on out, we are, how should I say this? We are down to few enough episodes and movies to consider hmm that it was worth (laughs) like, we didn't have a plan, right? Um, we we started the show. There was no (laughs) plan, but now there's, there's a, a a finite enough possibility space, if you will, that we actually could look at it holistically and make a plan because we, for the kind of the remainder of, of what we have to cover, we kind of wanted to pace it out. So it's kind of like a satisfying rhythm and we don't end up bunched Mm -hmm. up with a bunch of stuff. That's all kind of the same at the end. Right. Yeah.
1: One end on a specific note, yeah,
0: and then we worked backwards from there, and we also <laughs> spaced out the two parters in the movies so that we don't end up with a situation where we're staring down the barrel of like three two hour things that we have to do all in a row yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Not that we That's... wouldn't be willing to do that, no, no, but, but it's, it's a little bit of self care, yeah. yeah. Little... <laughs> and inside of that organization, uh, we found a couple ways to prioritize. Um, episode order so that we start kind of closing things out on purpose Mm -hmm. Um, because as you know as you will have noticed over the last uh, run you know i don't year so run of the show we've been finding people or themes um, Mm -hmm. to close out on and we're now in the home stretch there's only so many left so (laughs) we're kicking off this final phase by doing a focused look at the final episodes directed by ivan dixon who directed the last episode we did as well as many others. He actually was one of the more prolific directors for the show. And we just somehow ended up not doing a high proportion of his episodes. Um, so we're going to do them now. And the next one on our list here is the prisoner of Rosemont hall season four, episode 20.
1: Nice. No, wait, what do you say? 420. What do you say for 420? (laughs) Blaze it, blaze it. There you go. Blaze it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for
0: being <laughs> for the beat. I didn't yep. Mm-hmm. Season 4 episode 20 plays it the prisoner mm-hmm. of Rosemont Hall. Exciting stuff. Uh so this one has a couple unique attributes uh, production-wise uh just on its own. Um this is another one in the long list of ones I don't really remember. Uh though when the preview montage started I was like, "Oh, this scene is in this one because <laughs> I remembered a particular yeah. scene." So, Ivan Dixon director. Um Teleplay by Stephen Cannell and David Chase, and I feel like a lot of the language is very Cannell, yeah. <laughs> Cannelly, uh, which I like. I feel like we haven't really seen that as much in in a while. So there's a lot of good uh, phrasing that I think we'll be quoting here. So the teleplay by Cannell and Chase, story by Chas Floyd Johnson, uh, who was a series producer, and Marianne uh, Ray or Ria, uh, yeah, R E A. Uh, a little mysterious, unless you unless you are diving into Garner lore, as we tend to do, But because mm-hmm. she doesn't have very many credits. She's not really a movie person, in fact, or a TV person. This is her only writing credit. She ended up being an associate producer of the 90s movies and a producer on the final one. She was James Garner's personal assistant uh, for uh, yes. a very long time. Um, there's a mention in uh 30 years of the rockford files that she was his assistant for like 30 years at the time of that writing and I found another reference saying that she 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 had been his, his personal assistant for 40 years 14 years <laughs> 14 years <laughs> four zero 40 years four, 40 years yeah sounds like they had a great relationship <laughs> other than that wasn't really able to find out much about her um so however it ended up working her and uh Johnson, you know, had the story idea, and mm-hmm. then it went to Cannell and Chase for writing, and here we are uh, with a with the whole episode.
1: It's when a when a I was, was going to make a birds and the bees kind of joke. When, when a Cannell and Chase love each other very much,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we get we get lines like, "Hey, Jake, who are those yum yums?"
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> uh. This episode, and it's going to be right there in the preview montage. So this episode. Mm occurs on a college campus and there's a, we have a, a content warning up top that part of the plot are false rape accusations leveled yes. at Jim Rockford. Yeah. They are, they come from villainous intent. Mm-hmm. They, I don't think they necessarily hit the same way now that they probably did at the time. So yeah, I they- did feel some friction in those scenes of being like, like, I don't really love how this storytelling is working right now.
1: Yeah. I, you get the, feeling that they expect the audience to be like, Oh yeah, that happens a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, which is not what you get to like today. We should know better than that. Like we should take people at their work when they make these sorts of accusations, which they do in this, (laughs) uh, which causes the problem, I guess is what the deal is.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of in, in an environment where we know there is a problem, especially in our legal system Mm -hmm. of, casting doubt on women's experiences yeah leveraging that doubt for you know the the points of storytelling that it is that they use in this episode it's not like it's wrong or anything like it clearly is something that could happen. And it follows from the motivations of the characters involved, uh, right. as you'll see.
1: But it's not a good look. <laughs> it's not a good look. Yeah.
0: These threats could have been made in a different way that wouldn't feed into a larger uh, reactionary uh, stereotype about not mm-hmm. believing women. Yeah, Exactly. So just to say that that's in the episode and we'll probably talk about it a little bit in those scenes. There's also a treatment of hazing that I think, especially in the last 10 years, yeah. um, colleges have started treating hazing more seriously. Uh, there have been actual cases of deaths from hazing that are you know, of concern. Um, and it's kind of treated not as a joke, but kind of was like, oh, yeah, that like, I don't know. It's it's kind of treated just as any other boys will be boys. I don't know. I mean, it's all violent. It's all TV violence. I don't know what to say about that. But
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as we're on the content wording thing. Um, I think there's some brown face in this. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, there is some brown face in a fake and a fake Middle Eastern country. Um, yeah. So which, again, is just in seventies shows. Like there's a Columbo that has that as well. Yeah. Hector Elizondo's in brown face in that episode. Yeah. Um, like it's uh, yeah.
1: Again, a little, well, I guess a little bit to the show's credit here. Uh, the, there's a large panic involved around this, like, Oh, yes. what they do to people in those countries that turns out to be new, not to be true.
0: Yeah. The show's kind of puncturing that, that, that panic as being Yeah, like, yeah out of step with reality which so that's fine yeah
1: yeah it just doesn't do it with actors of that of whatever imaginary nationality they've (laughs) invented
0: (laughs) yes those are a lot of caveats for what's really a pretty fun episode so uh yeah. I think we should go ahead and get into our preview <laughs> montage. Right, the preview montage. Um <laughs> where I think we see all of these aspects.
1: <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh so my my notes on it are uh-oh, the cops, uh-oh, the trailer, uh-oh, blood on the seat, uh-oh, angry mob. Yeah. <laughs> this is a uh not a preview montage that I don't think it gives us any look at like regular casts that are in this. It's just Dennis and, and uh, Rocky, I think. Uh, and no hint at, like, a chaser or anything like that. But a lot of hints at, like, stakes and things are going to go wrong.
0: Yeah. We get the shot of a woman staring at Jim, ripping her own shirt and yelling, mm-hmm. and then that leads to the angry mob uh, crowding in on him. And that's the end of our preview montage. So we do yeah. know we have that going in. Uh, Blood on the Seat is a great... Um, It's a great claim. (laughs) It's a great atmospheric detail. Yeah. Uh, The other detail from the preview montage is that someone's on a hellacious story. So Mm -hmm. we get the sense there's some kind of something is happening that is causing all these reactions. But we don't know what and we don't know who. 200 a day is a 100% listener supported show thanks to our patrons. In addition to our gratitude and editing access to the 200 files file spreadsheet, patrons receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Our bonus just chatting podcast about media, work and life. An episode of that comes out before every episode of 200 a day. On top of that, every episode we say thanks to the gumshoe level patrons supporting this episode. Brian Bernson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Check out facebook.com slash Brian Rockford Files. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the Journey of an SD podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Paul Townend recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Dale Norwood wrote a book, Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China to Find Early America, Wherever Good Books Are Sold, published by the University of Chicago Press. Chuck Zufel's one-shot comic Sherlock Holmes and the Wonderland Conundrum is available at whatyourreadingpress.com. Shane Liebling, you know his site roll has all of your online dice-rolling needs. Jay Adan, who showcases amazing miniature painting skills over at Jayadon.com. Andre Apinani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Jabba Peach Pug, Dave P, Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, Dale Church, Colleen Kelly, and David Nixon. And finally, special appreciation for the extraordinary support from our detective-level patrons. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenner, Brian Pereira, Jordan Bockelman, Not Brockelman), Bill Anderson, and of course, Richard Haddam. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So we start our episode at night with no music. Um, So very naturalistic little chase scene. So a lot of this scene is like a guy does this, a guy does that. And then we mm-hmm. are, it is revealed later who all these people are and what their yeah, relationship yeah. is.
1: There's a guy in my notes. That's just the guy with the voice. Because yeah. there's there's a particular deep voice. It's not like a funny voice or anything like that, but it was distinctive enough that I'm like, okay, that's the guy with the voice. Um,
0: yes, I ended up somewhere in my notes referring to them as the jersey, uh, the jersey, the button-up, and the checked shirt, because those are <laughs> what they're wearing. In my first notes, I did call them the jocks, because that's the first guy I see mm-hmm. is wearing a jersey of some kind. Anyway, this story is going to concern... Uh, a guy called, named Paul. So right. Paul, we will soon learn, is the one who is running away from these three guys, and they're all running out of this fraternity house. Uh, Paul manages to evade them and get in a red convertible. I mean, this
1: scene is a... Lesson in why you would want a convertible, because these cars are easy to get into. (laughs) Yes. Everyone's jumping across the hood to get into a car. No one's opening any doors because they're in a hurry.
0: Mm -hmm. So he's getting in his red convertible. Um, The uh, jocks, as I call them, uh, Mm -hmm. see him peel out, jump into a white convertible. And that's when we first get a little bit of dialogue as one of them yells, like, you had a, why did you let him get away? And then, (laughs) are you all knuckles? Let's go. (laughs) <laughs> yes and then we have some rock music start and the credits come oh. up over this little night chase of uh <laughs> the white convertible after the red one
1: i too made a note of this soundtrack it is uh it is a lovely blend of here we have an orchestrated soundtrack with rock guitar over the top
0: mm-hmm. well because it's the kids
1: Right, yeah, and and there's a later on version that's even better because it's just like it's just like a a typical rocker soundtrack with somebody just noodling away on a lead guitar, <laughs> just just enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. You Gotta love it.
0: It's real, real, real posty stuff from uh, mm-hmm. good old Mike Mike Post, possibly Pete Carpenter again. I'm I'm not 100% clear on who's doing the the episode-to-episode uh, episode music, but I generally tend to think it's post for some reason. I don't know if that's a, a reference that I remember, or I'm just making some assumption. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the convertible ends up roaring to Paradise Cove and pulling up outside Jim's <laughs> trailer. Love love this. This is another. I think mm-hmm. in our last, last episode, The Battle of Canoga Park, when I wrote it up, uh, for our preview for that one i think i said that this was a jim did nothing wrong episode um mm-hmm. where he's just pulled into a story by forces completely out of his control uh so this one prisoner of rosemont hall is also a jim did nothing wrong episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> though it's more of a jim's friends are in trouble episode yeah
1: as this scene unfolds my i'm like wait is this gonna be like this guy is gonna coincidentally run into Jim or does he know Jim and, and then it's resolved pretty quickly with him pounding on the door saying yeah. Jim open up
0: yeah yeah so he clearly knows Jim and then he uh, there's no answer and he ends up ducking underneath the trailer to hide mm-hmm. um, the uh, pursuit car uh, comes into uh, comes into the Paradise Cove they send one guy off to check the the restaurant make sure to check the bathrooms.
1: The restaurant would have been a great place to hide if there were people in it. Who's going to, like, physically pull you out of a restaurant, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just felt like this whole thing could have been avoided. <laughs> and we wouldn't have enjoyed the episode.
0: But then uh, the other two see his car next to the trailer. They go to check out the trailer. And soon enough, look underneath. And yeah. sure enough, there he is. So our two jocks pull out Paul and start roughing him up outside the trailer. Uh jake uh proprietor um of of the restaurant uh Mm -hmm. presumably comes out the back door with trash to throw away sees it happening and and uh paul is yelling like help me the guy who went in there comes around and says oh he's from the fraternity it's just hazing he's a pledge uh it's just a little hazing it's fine that's when they throw him into the back of the convertible. I think one of the guys literally sits on him. Like, the the business is very good. It's very rough. Mm-hmm. It feels pretty serious. Yes. But um, the 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 proprietor is kind of like, he, he doesn't like the looks of it, but he's also not in a position to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then as their convertible peels out, they narrowly miss Jim, who's just <laughs> coming in in the Firebird. Just
1: in the nick of too late.
0: Just in the nick of too <laughs> late. And he pulls up. And asks Jake, as I said uh, earlier,
1: Uh, Jake, who are those (laughs) yum-yums?
0: Jake explains, but then says it didn't look like a hazing to him. It looked like a kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Jim goes, sees the car next to his trailer, checks it out, and we zoom in on a parking sticker for Rosemont University. Cairo zeta parking permit and then inside he finds the registration card it's made out to a paul douglas and jim says paul in a Mm -hmm. tone that makes it clear that he knows who this is he calls he goes inside makes a call to Valerie douglas leaves a message for val um and then pulls out a phone book and ends up calling the the frat
1: i want i want to point out a bit of acting from james gardner when he gets val's answering machine which is he looks a bit indignant and i'm like Mm. jim you of all people
0: (laughs) so i this episode does a has a real good like zero to a hundred storytelling thing where like we get right into it because jim's calling he calls the frat i okay there's a lot about the first half of this episode has a lot of business in and around this frat house and it's pledge week it's hell week so there's pledges and they have all kinds of like things they need to do to as part of being yeah. hazed and everything. And I have absolutely no conception how much of this stuff is like <laughs> TV stuff and how much is right. like reflective of how these kinds of frats actually work because I was not involved. There, there was no official Greek life at my school, actually, uh, but it, there was off-campus stuff and I was not involved with any of it. So
1: there was at my school and because of television like this, mm-hmm. I was like, why, why? Uh-huh. Like, what, why would anyone get involved in that? Like, what? <laughs> and so, I just never bothered. So, yeah. I, I have, I have no, no real world experience with it either.
0: So, some of this stuff is pretty ridiculous. Uh, so, if we, you know, say something disparaging or mocking about Greek life, that's just <laughs> off base because it's just how TV is and not how it mm-hmm. actually works. Apologies. You know, a lot of people, uh, my wife included, had very formative. Greek experiences that continue to be part of their lives to this day so like it's not like it's bad but uh right this particular fraternity is presented as kind of an animal house yeah situation yeah. so they have a pledge manning the switchboard which that's a nice i, mm-hmm. I, I love that, <laughs> that there's a physical switchboard um in the basement or whatever jim calls he gets the switchboard operator he claims to be <laughs> an uncle who wants to get who's in town and wants to get in touch with paul douglas so our pledge goes upstairs. He has like a paddle that he has to hold and hold he up. has to like make <laughs> yeah. a salute and say to call everyone, sir. But he announces that there's a call for Paul Douglas to who, uh, to, to Jersey, as I call him. Um, we learned some of these guys' names. I was a little fast and loose with faces, um, and names. Yeah, I'm not hundred percent I... sure who everyone's name is, but this is the main, the main guy that we're going to be. Mm-hmm. He was involved with the mystery or rather the main student, the main fraternity guy who's involved with the mystery. Yeah. So he turns around, says, what are we going to do? And we have our other two guys, uh, on either side of Paul who's sitting in a chair, all beat up and an older man in a jacket. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> beige on, not a not like a sport coat like a windbreaker
1: yeah yeah
0: beige on beige this guy uh this is Mr. Kilmore or Max Kilmore as we learn uh later
1: such a name <laughs> Max Kilmore
0: he is played by uh an actor named Kenneth Toby who yeah. who's in a bunch of movies that Epi has probably seen oh yeah like the thing from another world
1: <laughs> yes so he was in airplane
0: the, one of my favorites
1: the thing from another world is the uh the the movie that The Thing is a remake of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before, there was a remake of The Thing called The Thing. Mm-hmm. The Thing from the Other World. It's fun. It's not as good as The Thing. The Thing is mm-hmm. uh, all time one of the all-time greats. Uh, but there was a thing about The Thing from the Other World. Because we are recording right now on November 5th. Mm-hmm. November 4th was an important date in the thing from the other world where they spoilers defeated the thing from the other world and made an announcement to the world Mm. that the first encounter with alien life uh and and in humans one happened on (laughs) november 4th so you celebrate that day Mm -hmm. anyways and and that's thanks in a large part to this guy
0: right We are finishing his Rockford Files appearances. He was also the captain in there's one in every port. Uh, Uh. I assume that's a boat captain or not a police captain. Um, Could be. I don't really remember. We did that one quite a while ago, though still one of our favorites.
1: He is extraordinarily well cast for this role.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, He's also a police commissioner in an episode of Columbo. That also is the brown face episode that we were mentioning. Oh, good. (laughs) So we have that Uh. connection as well. Um, yeah, no, he's a, yeah, he is a great, he's a great face, uh, real wrinkly. He does a really good transition in this episode from threatening to scared. Yes. Um, yeah. and it's, it's good stuff. Uh, a quick aside just to mention, as I mentioned, one of our favorite other episodes for those of you who are Patreon supporters or not, but I think these are accessible whether you're on the paid whether you're, you pledge or not. Patreon has rolled out uh, a a feature of collections uh, where you can make collections of posts from your, your Patreon. Oh, right. So yeah. we've been updating some of our collections with sets of episodes along different things. And I recently went in there and just, you know, did a couple more. And one of them I did was, uh, what did I call it? Um, there's a collection called formative episodes, and that's where I just put all the ones that we talk about all the time. And all of the episodes on our Patreon are publicly available to listen to. So you can either go back through our art through our archive on your podcast listener, or you could just you could click through on this page um to find out when they were or whatever. But uh yeah. The Farnsworth Stratagem, gear jammers. Chicken Little is a Little Chicken, Portrait of Elizabeth, One in Every Port, White on White and Nearly Perfect. We haven't (laughs) mentioned in a while, but it's still a formative one, I think. Uh, Yeah. The first movie that we mention a lot, Uh, The Queen of Peru, So Help Me God, etc., etc. So, you can see some of our greatest hits uh, over the years of the ones that really, really made an impression on us. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Max Kilmore is the... It's a little mysterious now, but we learn soon he's the head of campus security at this university.
1: Yeah. He has a he has an a absolute aura of somebody who's given a little authority and has taken a lot of authority. Yes.
0: Yeah, he is the big fish in the small pond.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: All right, so Kilmore tells Paul... To answer the phone, but don't say anything. Basically, he means mm-hmm. business. And if Paul messes up, he's going feet first into a cement truck. <laughs> All Kilmore knows is that he's not going to end up with his head on a post in Persia or anywhere else.
1: At, at this at this point, that uh, it did not occur to me that that is a plot point. I thought it was just colorful language, <laughs> right? Like feet first into a cement truck. Check head on a pike in persia sure just you know i i didn't know i didn't know
0: um so they let paul answer the phone jim you know says you know it's jim uh mm-hmm. i want to drop by and visit paul says it's hell week he can't he's not supposed to see anyone maybe in a week they can you know he can drop by and there's very noncommittal and hangs up and I think Jim looks a little uncomforted by this conversation. Yeah. Next morning, Jim comes out to get the paper. Rocky is there, bright and early. <laughs> this is mighty nice of you, Sonny, helping me with my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> we also had a recent, I think Claire, the cl- episode, Claire also had Rocky dealing with some taxes. I think we talked yeah. about it a little bit.
1: It wasn't an audit in that case, no. but it was just he was just still working
0: yeah. through I mean, it. Yeah. I think that's a different season so you know <laughs> yeah yeah that was that year's taxes this is the next year's taxes <laughs> he's always having trouble
1: it's fun because it's a uh he's running a bit of a con on jim because <laughs> he was just asking to use his calculator yes and, his, and his then adding he's just machine. like oh but i yeah his adding machine but i got this i got this or this i got a question about this maybe you can help me out he definitely thinks that jim's going to help out with more than the adding machine
0: Right. And Jim is very definitive. I didn't say I'd help you with your taxes. I said you could borrow my adding machine. There's a big difference. But now in the light of day, Rocky keeps talking at Jim uh, while um, Jim's taking a look at Paul's car in the daylight. And that's when he finds the drops of blood in the front seat. Yes. And so he's clearly distracted and tells Rocky, the calculator's on my desk. I got to go. And we go to, I feel like this is one of the all-time great... Cold read Jim imperson like Jim oh oh so good. impersonations but like Jim cons fast yeah uh, fast talk cons that we've seen we that we've seen in a while. Well, this is not entirely a
1: cold read though. It gets revealed that it's not entirely one. Yeah, it's, we definitely get to it's a good.
0: point where it's like, oh yeah, you did some research. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first part, he does some 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 good quick thinking to get some information that he will need later to support mm-hmm. his story. So he goes to the fraternity house. He's met by a pledge. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe the guy who was on the switchboard the night before.
1: For economy of actors, probably.
0: <laughs> but he claims to be uh, the traveling secretary from the national you know, organization of the fraternity. Mm-hmm. And he's here to see the high prelate. Yes. <laughs> he's escorted inside. The guy is like, I'll go get him. And as he turns, Jim. So Jim puts on his whole like... Like I am too good for this situation yeah, kind of yeah. persona. Like I have this chore to do that I have to deal with you people, um, kind of status play thing.
1: You're not gonna make this tough for me, are you? Because I need to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not the hey, we're both we're both in a jam. Can you just help me out? I know how it no. is. It's the like you're not gonna waste my time, are you? Yeah. Appeal to, you know, uh kind of put that pressure on people. And he's also, you know, twice as old as these kids so
1: there's definitely
0: that uh, aspect of it. Um, He has that authority uh, just kind of that aura of authority he can put on. The Pledge turns to leave Aren't we forgetting something?
1: Don't we say something before we leave?
0: Sir! Excuse me sir, but that's when we leave the house, not the room sir
1: well, now I suppose when the traveling secretary from National says that uh, we're getting something, don't you think we could humor him, Pledge Miller? Uh, sir!
0: Yes, sir! Bye, officer! Bye, officer. Um, he also, while the pledge is gone, he sees a pledge book, and we see him kind of quickly scan some of it and then put it in his pocket. I, I read
1: that as he thought he made a mistake about, like, when they were supposed to say something while they were leaving. So he, he uh... You know, we had to look up, but he's like, I don't know. There's something about how he looked up that looked like he was chastising himself for not getting something right about that exchange.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like it really. It's not a reference that comes back. It's just kind of, I think, supporting his yeah his play It's just a fun here. bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we and we see why he knows anything because he's about to he's about to drop word salad on us.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So we have the Grand Prelate, uh, who has a great mustache, um, and a couple other officers. They all have titles. Um, But Jim, his name's Butch something. He has bad news for them. National is concerned about the academic performance of their chapter. Uh, Who's your magister? (laughs) <laughs> uh, and they're saying, "Well, there's no magister this year. No one wanted the job. So we get the. So again, not knowing anything about frats uh, or what this is intended to kind of be evoking, mm-hmm. I think we we get the idea here that there's some role that's supposed to make sure that the frat keeps their grades at a certain level, and that role right. is not being filled. And I guess apparently their GPA is low because when jim says your gpa is 2.5 or like whatever they all kind of look at each other i'm like okay so that's an actual thing he's not Mm -hmm. he's not coming in being like your grades are low and they're like no they're not which is what i kind of thought could have happened
1: they either are low or these guys are like yeah that's that's entirely possible.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. We're we're not the most academic crew. We're not full of hamburgers,
0: <laughs> right? So, as Jim says,
1: well, this house needs more than just face men and jocks.
0: Yeah. If you got to bring in a couple of hamburgers to raise the house grade averages, then you bite
1: the cookie. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, so I guess hamburgers are smart guys. I yeah. Guess. This is
1: utterly new terminology for me. I yeah. have never.
0: Um, but he yeah. says, we did bring, you know, we do have some uh, Alan McMillan and Paul Douglas. And so there we get to the connection that Jim is going for. That's right. We need more and I want to talk to them. He has, a again, a great exchange here where he talks about beaded belts and more hamburgers <laughs> and a fireman's picnic. Uh, but the yeah, point they- here is that they don't know where Paul is. He's kind of independent. And so Jim gets to, to go, this is ridiculous. You don't keep track of your pledges. You know, where's the <laughs> registration sheet? Where's the, you know, the pledge in- information? He's like, I'm getting mad now. I want Paul <laughs> Douglas by lunch. I want, I'll want. i be back in one hour. And if you, he's not here, you're out of the national. And then he just leaves on a, bye, Alpha. <laughs> 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 sweeps out.
1: Oh, that's good. It is good. uh It gets Jim a bit of information, but as we're about to find out, is not... It's not a disguise that holds up for
0: long. <laughs> right, right. There is a version of this episode where it's all about the frat, but that's not actually what this episode is about. So all of this business is very fun, but mm-hmm. what it's doing is telling Jim that Paul Paul is not in the house. That's pretty much yeah. all. It's, all it's telling him. Yeah, yeah. We follow him outside, and then we switch focus to Max Kilmore. Uh, he is on a radio. He's calling in to someone and asking about a plate he wanted to run. Obviously, he's he's keeping an eye on Jim's car. So we see, you know, he's trying to run Jim's plate. Um, whoever he's talking to says that, well, you know, we're last on the police department's priority list for this kind of thing. <laughs> Which is nice because it gives a sense of like, okay, so this guy isn't like from the FBI or something, right? Like, right?
1: This is our first hint that he's not actual PD or something like that. And right. then... I think it pans out to see the campus security on the side of his car.
0: And I'm seeing maybe a connection here with something I think we're talking about before the episode. He also says on the radio, like, I want that, you know, I want it as soon as you can get it. And I want to talk to Melinda. And then it pans out. And I wonder if Melinda is one of these
1: women that we are
0: going to meet soon. Let me check the credits
1: here. Yep, absolutely.
0: All right. See, there it is.
1: Well, that's a mystery that took IMDB for us to solve.
0: It did. Yeah, because I don't think she's named later.
1: This means nothing to our our listeners at the moment.
0: We'll talk about it when we get to it. We'll get to it when we get to it. We'll get to it when we get to it. But yes, the the camera clearly shows us that it's a campus security car. Mm -hmm. So Jim, there's a nice establishing shot of Rosemont Hall uh, from the title (laughs) of our episode. And Jim is heading in with all the kids. He's looking up a directory and then finds Miss Callahan, Miss Leslie Callahan, who's an associate professor of journalism. We see her on the phone. She's uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, uh, logistics involved with getting the yearbook together and whatever else she's, uh, you know, on the phone with people about. She is Paul's advisor and Jim's line here is that he's Jim Taggart, one of our uh, <laughs> classics from a big radio station that he names um and he wants to talk to Paul Douglas. He sent in a job application and he's very qualified but he's having trouble uh finding him to to talk to him and she's his advisor. So can you help? She says she has 50 advisees. I don't know what what you want from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she'll call the yearbook office she calls. He's not there and then she tells Jim, check the frat house. It's hell week. So maybe that's probably right. where he is. She, he, I think he asks her some other question and she's like, I don't really know. It's hard. It's hard to know Paul. Like she makes a, a couple mentions mm-hmm. specifically of like not really knowing him. She has so many other people that she advises, uh, stuff like that. And she tells him to, to drop his number off at the yearbook center. Um, that would be a better way to get it to, to Paul.
1: He hands her his number. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she
0: gives it back. and is She like,
1: gives it back. And, uh, we're going to find out some stuff about all this in a little <laughs> bit. But that is, I think, the one bit where, I, like, in uh, hindsight, I'm like, okay, that's odd that she gives it back and doesn't take it just in case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? But, but whatever. We'll get yeah. to that when we get there.
0: Um, Jim is leaving. Uh, there is a lightly populated hallway um, that he's walking through, as he does. A door opens, a young woman steps out and says, hey, mister, come help me. My friend, uh, my friend just passed, passed out. out. He comes in to help. And that's when she turns, closes the door, rips her own shirt and starts yelling rape. Jim has the most incredulous look on his face, which yes. is fair. Uh, I think
1: there's there's a thing about him where he's like, Ugh. like he knows it's the, before she even
0: does it. He knows I'm being set up. Yeah. 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 Uh, she pulls the door open and there's these four guys who crowd him back into the room um, as he tries to, you know, like, hey, c- come on, guys, let me explain. Uh, as I call them four meatheads. Um, <laughs> now, I don't
1: remember if these these are not the, she's a setup, but these guys may just be
0: bystanders. Who... I, so the framing to me seems like they were waiting for the door to open.
1: But yeah, that could be.
0: Um, I think this whole thing is one orchestration. Yeah. 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 They back him into the room and we have a, a shot where we have a, uh, one of the guys pulls his fist back to punch and then he punches directly into the camera. And <laughs> we cut from there to Jim in the nurse's office saying, I have a headache, not a fever as she is taking his temperature. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we should go through this scene and then we can talk about the whole thing. This nurse leaves Max Kilmore comes in. Mm hmm. He introduces himself as he's the head of campus security. And then this line I rewound twice because I was like, this line doesn't make sense to me with the rest of the scene. So either I just am not hearing a critical word or something. Maybe my version had some weird blip in it or something, because I swear he says, I'm one of the people who brought you in to put your lights out is what I heard. And then the rest yeah. of the scene, I'm like, wait, that can't be what he said.
1: No, I remember the line. I'm one of the people who brought you in. Yeah. I remember the line and it's, it's not what you said it was, <laughs> but I cannot recall what it actually was. Cause it was like it, in the context of the conversation, it it was basically him saying when there's tr- trouble, I, you know, He's saying yeah. he's campus police, right? Yeah. 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 He's, yeah. And I can't remember. Oh,
0: maybe I'm, I'm one of the, I'm on to the people who brought you in to put your lights out or something like that. Maybe I just, yeah, once I had, like once I had this line in my head, I couldn't hear anything else in the delivery. Oh, I know how that is. So, you know, maybe that's <laughs> yeah. on me, but this caused a lot of confusion for me in the rest of the scene. So I'm just yeah. calling it out as like, I'm sure if you're just watching it, it doesn't, you just make it work with the, rest of the scene but because i'm watching it closely sometimes the stuff jumps out to me <laughs> because jim says oh i appreciate that and then he's like and here's your wallet and jim's like oh you went through my wallet i don't appreciate yeah. that and i'm like wait a second because uh, i thought the first one was sardonic but then the second one is real like you know yeah has real feeling behind it i'm like wait that can't be what he said anyway yeah it doesn't, it matter. doesn't
1: matter um <laughs> Right in with the answer. It doesn't matter if it's the real one or not. Just yeah. just any answer.
0: So so Kilmore is acting from a position of, like, a lot of assumed authority here. Mm-hmm. And he's also doing a lot of, like, you know what I mean, right? Kind of mm-hmm. stuff that Jim is just like, just tell me what you want to tell me. So there's a little bit of talking around what he's actually talking around. But he's going to give Jim the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't think it went down the way that girl said it did or the way that the kid said it did. Mm-hmm but let me tell you a story. And he tells him a story about uh, like a doctor who was like stalking a co-ed or something like that. Uh, they couldn't keep it out of the papers. And when it was revealed, he lost his practice and, or maybe he's a lawyer and got disbarred. I don't know. Something like that. He lost his family and now he's a broken man. He's lost everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And Jim's like, if you have an accusation to make, make it and I'll call my lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Max says that says that the girl doesn't want to press charges. She doesn't want to disappoint her mother. Uh, so Jim's like, okay, what do you want with me? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I just want to tell you stories. I have another story. Uh, and he says that there's this, uh, a sophomore named Judy was, uh, was raped on campus last Wednesday. She's waiting for her parents to come down from to, to come down and take her away. And he wants Jim to meet her, and Jim like rolls. Jim's like, oh, okay, like I see where this is going. Right, mm-hmm. he has her come in. So this woman comes in. She's like wearing a robe, which is weird when you like, yeah you it, yeah okay. Uh, is this the man? And she looks at him and then looks back. She's like, I don't know. I just I I can't say for sure. I don't think so. And Max goes, You don't think so? Okay, you can you know you can leave. Jim says, I get the message. Uh, Max asks him, is this close call going to be enough to turn your life around? <laughs> it's just yeah. piling Ugh, it's on thicker and thicker over the bad course. Bad ideas. Of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Jim's, all he wants to do is talk to Paul Douglas. Oh, that's easy. Ask at the gate. The guard will call for him and he'll come meet you. But, you know, if you're going to come, come come on campus, it's best not to do it under an assumed identity. Yes. You better get your aspirin at home. I think the doctor's going to take a while. Okay. OK,
1: so uh, I looked up. OK, so Melinda is in IMDb. And the thing that Nathan and I were talking about before uh, is that there is some some of the dialogue in this scene from Jim. I don't remember the exact wording, uh, but there were some implications that this woman was not a student. Like he asked, like, what is she studying? The woman that accused him, not not the woman that came in to, to look at him. those are two different. Ones. Melinda right. accused him. Judy.
0: um Judy is the one who, as far as we know, was actually assaulted, and yeah, and is being kind of used. My yeah. read is is being used by Max as an implicit threat. Yeah, like I can get her to say it was you, right? Is kind of the, yeah. what he's he's pushing on Jim.
1: But there's there's a thing in this in the dialogue that wasn't a hundred percent clear, but implied to me that. Jim thought the woman that accused him was probably a prostitute who was hired to do so. Mm -hmm. There's a line a little bit later in the episode that kind of tipped it in that favor. Like, I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's what's going on or. uh, But the things that Jim's saying are a little dismissive of of this woman. And so, okay, we have this moment before that neither one of us remembered until we were going through the Mm -hmm. the uh, the thing where he says, get me Melinda, he being uh, Kilmore mm. on, on his uh, CB, say, get me Melinda. And that's when we jumped to IMDb and found out, right, okay, so Melinda's this woman that accuses him. Uh, Melinda is played by a woman who is a couple years older than Judy. Not enough. I thought maybe if this woman was like late 20s, there was like a an age difference thing that maybe Jim was – uh, mm-hmm. picking up on or you know like why would someone this old be still in college although people go to college at all ages but anyways none, none of this is is vital uh, As it was just, just not really clear when I was watching the episode I didn't read it as that she was hired to set him up and so a lot of the stuff that Jim was saying I was like wow like yeah <laughs> I understand that Jim's angry because he's being set up but also right. like wow and now I'm like, uh, he's he's probably, in the text of the story, He's he's got the right of it. He knows what's happening.
0: And so this was a read that I totally just either missed the dialogue or just wasn't paying yeah. bad attention to. So when you brought this up, I was like, huh, I hadn't thought about that. I was just like, oh, because <laughs> of his position in the university, for whatever reason, we will probably find out later, he is able mm-hmm. to like lean on students to like do things. To do stuff. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, she's a student that he leaned on to do this for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Uh also because my read is those guys are what like it's all one operation, right? Like those guys were waiting for her to come out. Um Etc. But yeah, but there's actually this yeah this this text of like oh okay she's the one that I mean he could be get me Melinda who is a student here I mean I guess that is also possible but yeah it is not focused on it's not that important other than I guess no. it does explain a little bit of Jim's dismissiveness yeah maybe of, of her I guess Um yeah. yeah so you know like I think like we said when we we're doing our all of our qualifiers like I just the whole plot point here of basically putting a bunch of pressure on Jim to like leave and not be on the campus anymore because you know, I can really ruin your life if you come back. Right. It leans on this stereotype that feeds into a larger thing that people feel about women that we need to fight against as a society, mm-hmm. but it is in the name of villainy. So like I get it and in like it right. made me hate max. So like, yeah, I got worked right. Like it, it, yeah
1: yeah it, it did yeah. the
0: thing. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of tease out that reaction. Um, one other just uh on a totally other note, uh a fun trivia bit here is that uh the woman Judy um is played by Kathy Hilton, uh mother of Paris Hilton and oh, other really? children.
1: <laughs> yeah. I did not know that.
0: Neither here nor there, just huh, how about huh. that? <laughs> anyway. We have that scene where Oh good. Max Kilmore is extremely threatening, lays it on super super mm-hmm. thick, I can ruin your life, etc.
1: One thing I do want to say is that uh, all of the 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 other stuff aside, watching Jim and this guy square off, it's just exquisite.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, it, they it, have
1: good. It, that's good stuff. That's this guy's a good guy for Jim to play against.
0: I agree. So we follow Kilmore as he is outside, sees this stretch limo with dark tinted windows, he approaches it, starts looking in all the windows, <laughs> and finally comes up to the front and knocks on the driver's side window. And the window doesn't even go down. There's like the little triangle windows. All timey. <laughs> yeah, like in front of the window that would go up and down. And that pivots in the center. <laughs> so that one opens. <laughs> he jumps. And there are two men in dark sunglasses and facial hair uh, mm-hmm. who speak with vaguely Middle Eastern accents. Yeah, and uh, Kilmore is terrified of them. He, we get some banter back and forth here, mostly on his part, because he has all this running kind of commentary, and then that'll be there'll be one short little reply, and then he'll have a whole another string. But he's like. I told you last time you were here, this road is close to auto traffic. May I ask what you gentlemen are doing here on campus? Mm-hmm. And he says, we're football fans.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Stanford's our opener. But that's not till next September. We are wishing to buy our season tickets. Oh, oh, oh. Then you want the uh, stadium box office. You go down here to Linus Pauling Avenue and hang a left and drive straight out past the quad and you can't miss... Uh, Palmer Stadium,
0: and so he starts giving them directions to the stadium, and they just close the window on him. <laughs> he goes to his car. He calls into HQ, and I guess so. Is this the the main guy from the? I frat? think so.
1: He's got the voice, right? Yeah. Like that. So the, he was
0: wearing yeah. the jersey earlier, and now he's apparently yeah. like on the campus security work study or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess his name is Hannon.
1: Get, getting some extra shifts in.
0: Yeah, Bert Hannon. He's called Bert a couple times, too, so yeah. that's who we're talking about. Um, So he's there, he's alone, so Max is, feels, I guess, uh, uh, comfortable in letting his panic show. They're back, yes. they're back. <laughs> they don't extradite, they just come in and take you. Hannon's trying to calm him down, Max is panicking, and we're getting all these lines about how terrible it will be if things go down. Uh, over there, they cut your feet off for an illegal lane change. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what they'll do to us? So this is that, like, Orientalist panic a little bit. Yeah,
1: and it establishes that there's a secret that they share. They've yes. done something.
0: Hannon says, we'll take the gaffe for the Paul Douglas thing. What more does he want? What more does Max want from him? Yeah. He's like, what do you want me to do about it? There's a gag in there about, like, not saying over. So there's a little bit. Between his clearly overblown panic and this gag in the middle there Mm -hmm. is a this is played a little bit comedically
1: yeah his side of it isn't which is i
0: think he's the straight man and yeah yeah hannon is the has the good has a good joke
1: there's a good bit here going where he we've seen him as with with rockford in control throwing his weight around very uh Authoritative. And then we watch him with this car. We, you know, he jumps when the windows open. He's still using the same sort of verbal techniques he was using with Rockford, like trying to nail down their excuses and whatnot. Uh, but he's clearly shaken by them. And then he has this conversation. And I mean, we've known he's wrapped up in the fraternity somehow, because the earlier scene with him in the fraternity. But this is where I start to suspect that these characters are player characters in a fiasco game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh Like
1: where he has a bunch of frat boys working for him and they aren't taking it seriously or they aren't rising to the level he needs. Right. And so I, I think it's, it's a great way of showing like what the pressures are on this guy, because this guy is the dangerous one, right? Yeah. Like he's the one who, if things start going wrong, he's going to start doing bigger and bigger things that could hurt more more people, if he hasn't already.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we end the scene with, he just wants to say they got to contain this thing. And then the yes. De- Lumo drives away and we see him visibly relax. We are going to take a little break in the middle of our episode here. So that we can stretch, maybe get a beverage or a snack, and talk about the other places that you can find us on the internet. Epi, if our listeners want more Epi, where can they go to get maximum Epi?
1: You can find uh, me at my website, diga thousandholes.com. That's dig1000holes.com. Or you can get my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds plural master singular if you want to engage with me on the social medias the best place to go right now is mastodon at epidiah at dice.camp nathan if they want to get maximum nathan where do they have to go for that i should have gone maximum nathan
0: maximum nathan can be found at my website ndpdesign.com. That's the hub for all my stuff on the internet, including all my uh, role playing games, zines, and other podcasts. Uh, so if you're interested in pro wrestling detectives mm-hmm. or zines about pro wrestling, <laughs> among other things, um, those are all at my website. It also has links to contact me in other ways. Currently, I'm still um, posting on Instagram at ndpayoleta. That's where I'm posting pictures of my dog. Uh, you can also find me at cohost host co slash NDP. That is a fun, small-scale social media site that I'm enjoying quite a lot.
1: And now we return to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish.
0: We cut to Jim coming home, and Rocky pops out of the trailer. He's glad to see him. This this <laughs> must have cut straight to your heart.
1: Oh, oh I love this scene.
0: <laughs> Rocky was adding up his expenses, but then he couldn't find the clear button on the calculator. So he had to do it all by hand anyway. It's oh that's so rocky. For
1: most calculators, you don't wouldn't need a clear button. If he well, hold on. Well,
0: as we learn, it's a cheap one from Taiwan. Yeah. 898.
1: <laughs> but there's a thing, like when when you go to type something into a calculator, if it's the style that most people know, then it gives you the answer. And there's no oh, no. If he's doing like a adding machine style, mm-hmm he's probably doing it at machine style. So it's a little, little, little bit of the reverse Polish notation going on. Mm-hmm. Never mind. The point is <laughs> it's great. He, he can't find the clear button. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the joke that's going to happen. Like you just, it's the <laughs> kind of thing where you're like, I know the payoff to this. I just want to see it. I'm just waiting. For just want to yeah. see it. Yeah.
0: So he keeps up, uh, you know, some patter while, while Jim is just straight up ignoring him and doing another once over of Paul's car, which is still there. One of the things that I particularly appreciated was that he drove 12,000 miles last year, and it's a six cents per mile deduction. But when I do it, I come up with $72,000 in expenses. That has to be too much. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Rocky, you got to learn about decimals. Yes. <laughs> All right, because that's, uh, what is that? That would be $720. Yeah. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rocky. Okay. We're going, we're, we're going down, uh, down inflation alley real quick because I'm curious. Oh yeah! So
1: I always like a trip down inflation alley.
0: This episode was seventy-eight. Okay, and we said what? it would be seven hundred and twenty dollars.
1: Yeah. So we're looking at $3,000. $3,400.
0: According to this inflation calculator. Yeah. About $3,400. right. So adjusted for inflation, the mileage deduction in 1978 would give you a $3,400 deduction. Mm-hmm. Now, the mileage deduction for 2023 is $0.65.5 cents a mile. So that is then, what do you say, $12,000? mm hmm I forgot a decimal. It is not $786,000. <laughs> you and Rocky, I swear. I know. The two of us with our powers <laughs> combined. Okay. The deduction in real terms today would be a little over $7,800. And the deduction adjusted from 1978 was about $3,400. Yeah. So the rate of your mileage deduction uh, per the IRS You're getting double the deduction now than you would have in 1978 for your driving miles.
1: Yes, that sounds like right.
0: Yes. Uh, Accounting
1: for inflation.
0: Accounting for inflation. Yeah. 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 Not accounting for the value of vehicles, I guess, would be the other other thing. Assuming vehicles are worth about the same, it would be double the deduction. I'm just saying... Rocky would be doing better as a truck driver now than he was in 1978. (laughs) I just wanted to find out if it's what the, what the parody there was. I say it's worth it. (laughs) That all said, Jim finds a little magnetic, Key keeper underneath the car. Inside is a key for La Mariposa, which is probably some kind of uh, uh, hotel or apartment or something.
1: It's clearly not a car key and
0: it has a room number on it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to go check that out. Uh, asks if Val Douglas has returned his call. She has not. Jim tells Rocky. If she calls, tell her to stick by the phone. I'm going to call her as soon as I can. And Rocky says, look, if you won't help me with my taxes, can't you at least show me how to clear this calculator? <laughs> and that's when Jim says, oh, you know, it's a cheap one from Taiwan, eight ninety eight. I guess maybe a more expensive calculator would have a better UI? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that
1: one would assume.
0: So he shows him the button and he presses it.
1: you want to clear it, you just push that button right there, okay?
0: Ah, <laughs> thanks.
1: That's going to make it a lot easier for me. <laughs> uh do you remember what the figure was you just erased? Was it was 4,319.5? It oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So
0: good. All right. So the room number on the key was 8A, and we see Jim going to a door that says 8A, and he lets himself in with the key. We see an apartment that is fairly well apportioned. Like, it doesn't look like a dorm. You know, like, it right, looks like yeah. a real person's Uh, apartment and we see a picture of paul on a shelf so my my first thought is is this one of those situations where someone has a picture of themselves (laughs) because again that happens in colombo all the time where like someone has a picture of themselves on the desk it's
1: helpful for investigations the two most helpful things about investigations and you should uh, strive to have a picture of yourself somewhere in your house Mm -hmm. and in case you become a murder victim and as you're dying, please please smack your watch against something so it stops the moment of your death.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, A runner-up is um, put an appointment in your date book that is relevant to why you were murdered, but does not have (laughs) a specific, but is in some kind of shorthand or uses some abbreviations. So it takes a little while to work out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, also very helpful. Another aside, the... Columbo with Patrick McGuin that I was watching last night has it's from it's a 90s Columbo and it has a plot point involving email which uh, <laughs> e- email and a phone pager that receives notifications when you get email which oh is either very of its time or very ahead of its time
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> the one that uh, I'm watching from the 90s with Patrick McGuin in it <laughs> uh has him asking about a fax machine and how mm, that works. Nice. So, yeah.
0: Anyway, the decorator for this set gets to use all of the green and yellow uh, accoutrement <laughs> that we have seen in Beth's apartment yes. or others other women's apartments. So I'm like, oh, this must be a woman's apartment.
1: Exactly.
0: And that's when we hear keys jangling and Miss Leslie Callahan is coming in. Mm-hmm. The advisor, or so we thought, Well, I guess she is his advisor, technically, um, technically, coming in with a bag of groceries, calling saying honey and looking disappointed that there's no response. Mm-hmm. She turns around to put down her bag of groceries. Jim appears in the doorway
1: <laughs> and <laughs> says
0: her name and she kind of jumps and then he says, I'm not I'm trying not to scare you. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I broke it into your apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh And I'm approaching you from behind. Please Mm. just remain calm.
0: Yeah, She's clearly angry. Not only did Jim break into her apartment, he lied to her this morning. He's a PI. And he says that the lies were going thick and fast. You know, Paul, better than you claimed. What is this all about? I'm a friend of Paul. Well, I'm a friend of his family's. And she finally kind of turns from being just mad at him and just being like, where the hell is he? Yeah. All right. So what we learn is that Leslie and Paul are in a relationship. They have to keep it secret because she's on faculty and he's a student. So this apartment is one that she keeps in her own name that they can both go to though. They both have their own You know, he has a dorm and she has a, a university funded housing, faculty housing mm-hmm. that, that apparently is really nice. Uh, I feel like this is again, an artifact at the time, <laughs> your, your cushy university faculty housing. Uh, sometimes he does this. He disappears. He needs time to think, uh, but drives her around the bend. Why doesn't he think of me sometimes? In the conversation, she makes clear if the school finds out about their relationship, goodbye tenure, goodbye university finance house. Jim asks what happens when Paul graduates and she's like, oh, he's going to be gone. He's out of here. He's super talented. Uh, He's a great journalist. Um, He's going to go far. He'll, he'll, He'll be leading the Paris Review within a year or something like that. What about her? Well, those who can do, those who can't teach. I'm sure you've heard that. Um, Jim kind of gets down to business. So Jim is, is pretty like, he's not needling her. I don't think Mm -hmm. he's more kind of like, all right, I guess that's the situation. Like,
1: yeah, I am more shocked by the situation than Jim is. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's an unethical relationship. That is. yes,
1: Yeah. Yeah, Jim has, I think, bigger concerns. Right. Uh, And, uh, yeah.
0: And so he asks Leslie, what has Paul been working on? She says she just grades his tests and, like, read his papers. He doesn't discuss the real stuff with her. (laughs) Jim explains why he's worried. His car's been outside his trailer for a couple days. There was blood on the seat, etc. And as he sits down to continue the conversation, he has to move this, like, portable TV that was on on the, like, seat. Asks if it's hers she says oh it's paul's he's been meaning to get it fixed and jim says it's awfully light so he
1: mm-hmm.
0: pulls off the back <laughs> and sure enough it has a bunch of audio tapes inside i just want to i just want
1: to say that i mean it is awfully light but it's it's clear that the Cathode ray tube is still in the tv when he pulls mm-hmm. off the back which is most of the weight of those tvs <laughs> so i i actually did just a little bit of searching because i i I'm not a TV repairman from the '70s, mm. but I I wouldn't put magnetic tape in the back of a TV. <laughs> like, yeah, but okay.
0: Maybe it's light because he took like. Is there a magnet in a cathode ray tube? Yeah, maybe he took that out. Maybe he and took that, that out. That was the
1: heavy thing. Yeah, maybe,
0: or maybe it's just We're... unbalanced. It's all in the front, and if it's really a portable TV, there's something in there so that when you pick it up, it's not going to tilt all over the place. We're overthinking this. The point here yeah, is that beyond
1: our expertise. <laughs> yeah, there's there's
0: audio tapes in this TV. We have a brief cut to see an ominous shot of this limo pulling up b- behind Jim's car, mm-hmm. and then we go inside to where they're listening to the tapes. They're some kind of like voiceless lessons for learning English. They're like yeah. record, like someone recording themselves saying English words with a again vaguely Middle Eastern. Well, not vaguely with a stereotypically middle eastern accent but it's very halting and there's little jumps and so jim says this sounds like things have been cut out and he looks at a tape he's like see there's splices this has been cut up
1: Mm -hmm. it's a clue it must be
0: important (laughs) or paul wouldn't have hidden them jim gives it puts in a call to uh val um paul's mother she's finally home Jim says, "I think it's time to go to the police about Paul. Like mm-hmm. he's been missing, and now there's this other evidence, etc." Yeah. Uh, the limo follows Leslie and Jim as they are going to meet Val at the police station. We get a little bit of talk in the Firebird to give us a little more about Leslie's character. Her whole thing is that like she wasn't a very good journalist. Um, that's why she ended up a teacher. Uh, <laughs> she <laughs> she worked. She worked at a TV station briefly, but only because the manager liked her. When it, when the new girl came in, her relationship ended and she got fired.
1: There's a bit in this conversation uh, that comes out in the later one, too, where Jim is a little skeptical of her. She undersells what her skills are. I, Jim <laughs> thinks she's underselling what her skills are.
0: Right. Yeah. He says things to that effect, and then she brings up like a "Oh no, I'm actually not very good right like she's yeah she, yeah she she keeps doubling down on that, and Jim there's a couple spots here that are kind of like good, like Jim's view of how people should be material. But-
1: yeah, like things that should be on the uh, Rockford a Day calendar. Yeah,
0: yeah. And also we see a little bit of how, and this is, you know, it's again, a, char- a Jim Rockford character trait we see in many episodes where he has little patience for people who just kind of give up and whine about their situation as opposed to take action to make things better, right? So mm-hmm. he's kind of on the end of like, you could be doing better. You just have to decide to do better, <laughs> which isn't always <laughs> yeah. helpful, but in this context is... It starts to Maybe. build over the course yeah. of the episode. Um, yeah, she doesn't really know Max Killmore. Uh She thinks he was an L.A. cop and then he worked security for a casino or something, but he got canned, uh, which I like. So we just get those. We never talk about it again, but I like that little string of three things is like. Yeah, that explains this guy's character. Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> there's a there's a trajectory here.
0: Yeah. So Jim says he thinks he was deliberately set up. Around then is when he takes a good hard look in the rearview mirror, because we've been seeing the limo following them this whole time. Yes. But the limo took a turn right before Jim start, stops at a stoplight. And so it's mm. gone when he starts looking. Um, Leslie asks if something is wrong, and he says, oh, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he had a feeling and now that he's actually looking, he's not seeing it. But it's a good uh it's a good mystery. It's a good element of mystery.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's on to something, but he's not entirely on to it.
0: So we go down to the station, we do get our good friend Dennis Becker appearance, uh hunting and pecking at the keyboard on his typewriter as he <laughs> so such a often good does
1: typing technique
0: to fill out this missing persons report. You ladies may not believe this, but this is not the first missing persons report I've filed for you. Really? Oh, no, perish the thought. In fact, this is not even the first missing report I filed for Jim where I had to come back early from lunch, even though there was a full complement of qualified officers in the room. Oh.
1: there's the line my notes have it right now or just before now uh which is the line that we get from jim about establishing that he doesn't think the woman that accused him was a student
0: yeah maybe that was in the car and i just kind of glossed over it
1: yeah i think that was in the car okay i'm sorry the dentist stuff is great i um i am as always i love the dentist stuff but this one is particularly good uh especially the sad bit which, which we're just about to get to here.
0: Dennis gets the name. Uh,
1: Paul L. Douglas.
0: And then, so he starts typing it in. Then he picks up a piece of paper on his desk, looks at it, puts it face down, does a couple more t- keystrokes, and then looks at Jim and says, Jimbo, can I see you for a minute? <laughs> I'm <It's>, like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, the, the forced casualness yeah. of picking up that
1: paper mid typing yeah is uh, this is a uh um joe santo's uh tour de force Mm -hmm. when it comes to acting this is a great great moment so he says jimbo can i see you for a moment the two excuse themselves they go outside the room
0: yeah paul washed up on the beach in santa monica that morning Mm -hmm. dennis tells jim that jim who i think you know was holding out hope yeah Groans and turns and kind of like puts his head on his on his arm against the wall, and we get a really yeah. heartfelt "I'm sorry, Jim" from Dennis. And yeah, that whole package is yeah, really good distilled. Uh, Joe Santos doing yeah, his thing in a very short amount of time. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, a sad end to to Paul. So we got to the funeral. Oh God, Val is grieving. Um, this has played a little comedically which is i don't know so right it's fine in the moment but looking at my notes now i'm like hmm, it's a little weird my notes are the words do
1: not over and over <laughs> again <laughs> uh there's a there's a thing there's a ball we're waiting to see dropped right it's the Chekhov's gun of this situation uh since we see uh valerie and leslie together at the the police headquarters like is is the secret going to come out? Like I don't even want to say it because it's so awkward. Will the secret come out that Leslie and and Paul have been together? Uh, and we're at the funeral. Paul's mom Valerie starts saying that he always observed life. He did never experienced it, and I start to sweat the moment she says that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh god, oh god. Like we know it's good. Like the every single arrow has been pointing to this moment. And she literally says, I just wish he could have experienced love.
0: Right, right. And at
1: that point, I wanted to jump through the TV screen (laughs) and tackle
0: Leslie. (laughs) In slow motion, like, no!
1: I mean, like obviously, we when we recount these things, we add our own little. I'm gonna mm-hmm. very generously call it humor to it, but like this, <laughs> this scene is there is a humor in that, right? You have yeah. to have a humor in that, otherwise it's just unbearable to watch.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: not not because it's a bad television or anything like that. It's just very awkward. It's such a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> such a bad idea. And Leslie's like, oh, okay, I I will make her feel better right. by telling her that. Her son, fifteen years my junior, mm-hmm. and I have been uh, in a relationship.
0: Oh, he knew love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, of course, Val is outraged mm-hmm. and yeah, and storms away in a huff. And Leslie just goes, "I thought it would make you feel better." And then turns <laughs> to Jim, it makes me feel better. So, like, oh, at <laughs> least she feels better that it's out in the open. I guess, which is fine. Maybe. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's a bit of a. It's a bit of a gag. And yeah, I don't know. It's fine. I didn't have quite as visceral reaction as you. I was like, oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> but yeah, we continue our uh, wacky comedy as in the funeral procession. We see our two guys from from the limo have finally made an appearance. They just kind of walk up to Jim, just <laughs> on either side and just go like, excuse us and just walk him out of the funeral procession. <laughs> This is a really, this is a good exchange here where Jim, Yeah. who are you guys supposed to be? We're bereaved. Oh yeah? (laughs) What are these boulders in your coat? Wet hankies? (laughs) Uh, So we finally get a little bit of conversation and we learn about what the deal is with these guys uh, because they want to know what Jim's interest is. They know that he's an investigator. Private. Uh, The othering of how they, do, like, of these people by how they deliver their lines. It's not like broken english but like there's weird inversions and stuff and i'm like yeah. i don't know if this is how people actually talk it feels a little thick to me uh yeah. like laid on a little thick but like i don't know um so they pull out a newspaper the cover story is showing that there's the th- the three boys from the frat confessed to this uh accidental death that he mm-hmm. it was an accident that he they're, they're doing a hazing thing they accidentally drowned him They have admitted to to that. But then there's another section where he's where Jim apparently is quoted as saying that that's that he's not sure that that's actually what happened. (laughs) All right. So these two guys are police, I guess, security forces of some kind from a made up Middle Eastern kingdom. Um, And so the king's son went to this school and he joined the frat. Then later he left in a rational telephonic call to their country's embassy saying he was leaving to join a Hindu commune in Marin County, and he hasn't been seen since. They think it's odd. Why would he leave a message at the embassy instead of just calling his father?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Their investigation still isn't over, and another boy from the fraternity dies. So clearly they think something's related. And so we go from there to Jim playing them the tapes that he found
1: they do have one good line in there that i i really liked, which was we have been unwanted presences in many at many communes yes and i uh, i mean that's the story of my life honestly <laughs>
0: <laughs> so jim uh plays the tapes for them once they start They start talking to each other in Arabic, presumably, Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of ignore Jim. This is kind of a fun way to do this, where they just ignore Jim and keep talking as he tries to explain to them what he thinks happened. Thus, giving us the audience what he thinks happened. That the call to the embassy was fake. It was cut from these tapes that are the print's you know his own his tapes for learning english or or whatever and he thinks max Killmore, the head of security must have something to do with it he seems to be under a lot of pressure for some reason and they just keep kind of like pushing him to the side and then they unplug his tape player i think they're like <laughs> reel-to-reel audio tapes yeah like, yeah it's you a know, big. big so they unplug the player
1: wait a minute wait a minute hey i'm gonna need these for my investigation Oh, well, hey, I tell you what, I trust you. Why don't you take them, okay? You just take Shut them up. with you and uh, bring them back when you're through with them. I'm not really in too big of a hurry for them. I'm sure you'll enjoy them.
0: <laughs> this is all this pattern as they just take all the stuff and just leave without giving him any more um, to go on. We go to Jim going to Rosemont Hall at night. He finds Leslie there uh in her office she's crying um or she's clearly been crying mm-hmm. she should have found out what he was working on she could have warned him off she says i could have been a leader for once and not a follower jim wants her help to find out who killed paul and she says that she doesn't know what she can do about it now there's a bit of banter here but there's also some jim rockford moralism
1: you're running away leslie you ran away from kpp tv you ran away from the journalism business you're selling yourself a, a vacuum-packed existence
0: Jim wants to know what happened to the Persian prince and why the head of security is throwing downfield blocks about it uh, a whole fraternity is taking the gaff for Paul's murder when it was probably one or two people because that's another detail was like the whole fraternity's on probation mm-hmm. um, he tells Leslie that she can get the story she can turn it into a real newspaper she can mm-hmm. she can be a real journalist. And she says, I can do that, and I can end, it up, end up out on the street with no security.
1: Yeah, and you lose the little house in College Park. But you'll still be alive, Leslie. And they're going to have to watch out for you.
0: Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe you're right, Mind. God, I used to feel so safe on this campus. It was so comforting. And here she stands, the prisoner of Rosemont Hall...
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get the title, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is good because this whole time I was trying to figure out how this, uh, I thought it was a reference to the prisoner Mm -hmm. of Zenda, which is (laughs) uh, it's not, it just isn't. Uh, It was a lovely swashbuckling film about um, and, and novel about um, mistaken identity and all that. But the point is (laughs) uh, I, this scene I think uh, is another one of those great Rockford scenes where, so we get, we get Rockford's offering his moral take on the situation, right? Uh, and honestly, like, I sometimes roll my eyes at that stuff, uh, and sometimes I don't, but I always like to hear what Rockford's take is on things. Mm-hmm. So um, while we're doing that, we also get, like, just the clearest picture of these two characters and where they sit inside that whole situation. And the situation itself is restated, because this is a... This is a mystery in which nothing we didn't even know what was mysterious right, right. until like a scene or two ago. Like, oh we knew what was mysterious, but we didn't like we didn't know all the moving parts until like a scene or two ago. Yeah. And so this just kind of like brings it all together for us. And it doesn't do it as just a we need to bring everyone together. It does it by also showing us stuff about these characters, mm-hmm. about their arcs and where they're going. And uh, yeah, I just I like it. I think it's a nice, well. Uh, Well scripted scene.
0: No, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way because, yeah, often this kind of bringing together might be, you know, Jim turning to Rocky and being like, here's what I think is happening. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's a good... uh, This is a more uh, nuanced way of doing it, for sure. Mm -hmm. We do end the scene with Jim saying, every journalist I know has a fetish for keeping their material on their stories. (laughs) Does that sound like Paul? To the campus radio station. Apparently, that's where he did his news. He he did a news broadcast from the radio station, so that's was kind of his home base. So th- on one hand, it's a little unclear about like all the things that Paul did. Like he's doing stuff yeah. with the <laughs>
1: yearbook and
0: yeah, with the yearbook, and he's pledging for a frat, and he has a news radio show. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, oh, this guy was like everything. Like he just had all this stuff going on. Yeah. Which both makes it hard to pin him down for like, yeah, sometimes he just disappears. Like everyone's like, yeah, he right. just does that. Uh And also gives a sense of like, he could have found out this stuff and he really, you know, could dig into stuff because mm-hmm. he just had all this material, all these, all these different directions to, to discover it from. We go outside when we get kind of a, a roundup of where uh, Max is, Max Killmore is at. And I guess deep voice guy and one of the other guys are in the car with him
1: yes i think
0: or maybe not the deep voice guy but the two other guys it doesn't I don't matter remember. too much yeah they're, two, they're very, two of the, the three frat guys
1: the what, what are what are the categories there's the the fraternity lingo uh
0: oh there's jocks there's uh hamburgers hamburgers and um there's basement and jocks and then there's hamburgers
1: yeah all right i guess these guys are probably just jocks then i guess it's the the interchangeable jocks in this fraternity (laughs) right 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 which is not a
0: sentence you want to hear (laughs) so i think one of the guys is hannon the main guy uh the the deep voice guy just because i think he's called the i heard his name a couple times i'm like oh it's that same guy he's wearing different clothes in every scene so i was having trouble keeping track (laughs) of who's who anyway He's saying, look, Max, it's got to stop. We're already going down for this Douglas thing. My lawyer says, even if we separate the charges or whatever, I'm probably going away for six months to a year. I have enough trouble. And Max is kind of not listening to him. And he has a really Mm -hmm. good, this is a, this is a real, a real cannily line to me. This guy won't
1: Buffalo. What does it take to tie a can to this (laughs) gumshoe? Yes, it is a good, good line.
0: They argue and we learn what happened to the prince. Um, mm-hmm. how was Max supposed to know that he'd had a heart attack while you guys were holding him? And they says, well, why were you suffocating him with a pillow? He thought that would help with his cardiac situation. <laughs> uh. So he was just trying to scare the, the, the kid to keep his mouth shut. They were going to try and hold him for ransom and get like a $2 million ransom from the King to yeah. return him or something. But then he died uh, accidentally so to cover that up, uh, Hannon is the one who made the composite tape and sent that in. Uh, but now the campus is quote crawling with mustaches and sunglasses,
1: mm-hmm. which is a, a good description of 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 what our foreign investigators uh, look <laughs> right.
0: like. I was going to say a good description of 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 a seventies California beach.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so this is this is where we. We learn that this is a uh, it's not a brains kind of operation.
0: No, no. This is a panic. Yeah. Even though, so he says we're sticking to the plan, which is not a good plan. No, but the plan is those the the, the kids take a slap on the wrist and blame and everything. It just becomes, oh, it was just part of hazing and it fades away right. as better than getting cut to pieces in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So that's still his great fear. Yeah. Um, they're like, okay, but what about this P.I.? And Max says, well, maybe it's time for us to catch this rapist. So Ooh. that's his whole angle on this thing. Max calls in backup from HQ. He saw a guy who broke into Rosemont Hall and took Leslie Callahan. Because uh, they saw Jim and Leslie leave the, the hall. Yeah, Max is going to try and stop him before, uh, as he says, before he hurts the little Callahan girl, which is... A hell of a way to frame, but he's clearly intentionally framing this so that that can be the story. Yeah. So we go to the radio station. We see Jim and Leslie are looking around. They haven't found anything yet, but Jim remembers that uh, Paul liked a particular jazz musician. Is there anything in that area? Because they're looking for something hidden. You know, he would have hidden his his, inf- his his material. Max sneaks in quietly with his rifle. As we cut back and forth, they finally they find a box of tapes you know, labeled from the, the musician Jim opens it. And sure enough, one of the tapes has a label on it saying disappearance princess side. Yes. <laughs> so, there we go. They have the tapes. And then as they stand up, Max is in the stairwell behind them and says, well, another rape stopped a moment too late. And then he takes a mm-hmm. shot as Jim turns off the lights and they <laughs> duck out, um, avoiding avoiding Max. He then calls in on his radio. He's armed. He took a shot at me. Shoot to kill. Mm-hmm. Something a campus security yeah. person clearly has the authority to do.
1: Gotta love a campus security that's got... Oh, man.
0: Yeah. Um, we go outside. Uh, it's a little night chase. Jim and Leslie are ducking and running, avoiding Here him. we
1: get... That amazing lead guitar over the <laughs> over the soundtrack. Well worth it. Enjoy.
0: <laughs> Another campus security car cuts them off, and they manage to avoid getting shot by that guy. I'm just like, if I work at a campus security and I get a call, shoot to kill from my boss,
1: I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm quitting. <laughs> yeah, I'm quitting. This is my two weeks notice. Two weeks ago. Sorry, buddy.
0: I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm not a cop. Um, yeah. Anyway, so they, they, they duck and weave and we kind of see them cross like a uh, like a quad area. And then they're in front of another building and Max appears. He's done an end run around them, cocks his rifle and yells, So it ends for you. Now. <laughs> and That's when we hear a shot from off screen. Max's leg buckles beneath him and our... Kingdom police guys uh, have, have yeah. arrived in the nick of time. I think he goes, who shot me? Yeah, yeah. He's like, who shot me? Who shot me? So they shot him in the leg. One of the guys shot him in the leg. And as they approach him, we see him. You know, he gives into his panic. Please mm-hmm. don't maim me. Kill me if you want. But Lord, don't disfigure me. His weirdly racist panic is really yeah. what has fueled this entire thing. Yeah, And they're like, disfigure mm-hmm. you. We're going to turn you over to your local authorities and then perhaps begin extradition uh, yeah. proceedings as according to our United Nations Charter Agreement, etc. And Jim says, so Leslie, well, it's your story now.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh. So justice presumably is served. Um, Leslie is packing up her apartment in our final scene here. Jim says that her story is a beautiful job. Uh, I guess he's been reading it, right? He has like a draft. Mm-hmm. He says she did a beautiful job. Uh, she says she's going to put Paul's name on the byline because it was his story. And we have a reiteration. She felt so safe all of these years on campus. Now she's almost shot outside Rosemont Hall by the head of campus security. It's an ultimate irony. She owes Paul and Jim thanks because she needed the she needed the, the, the kick uh, to remind her that there's no substitute for living like if she you know wants to be a reporter she has to go out there and live jim has one edit to suggest it would be better if she shared the byline mm-hmm. and she says what well, you think i'm playing it too safe keeping a foot in each pond and jim says paul would like it that way well then that's what i'll do uh, they share a hug as we zoom in to the picture of paul still on the shelf and we freeze frame on his uh smiling face poor paul poor paul in memoriam. So yeah,
1: um, a troubled episode, but a good one. I mean, like I, I, yeah. I think it was well written. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, we hit it with the content warnings at the beginning. Yeah. Th- those exist. There's no getting around that. Uh, but um,
0: yeah, I think we said, you know, we 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 said brownface. One of one of the actors who of the Middle Eastern guys is Cuban. Um the other one uh did I I was not able to quickly find any particular thing. He yeah. might be he might be Middle Eastern. Um I'm not 100% sure. But yeah. Uh that's, uh Maurice Sherbini could be.
1: Yeah, I was looking him up and I couldn't figure out.
0: But yes, Mahmoud and Qaddafi are the two characters, yeah. so yeah. Um Yeah. Anyway, uh yeah, it's like the the this is kind of an interesting one as I'm thinking through it cuz I'm like cuz there's a lot of things about it that troubled me but Mm -hmm. but it's not like bad or offensive really any more than any other any more than any other time this happens in tv which is a lot right right? so like yeah but it's not over that baseline
1: like for instance uh kilmore's prejudice uh, there's no basis in in the fiction for his prejudice he's that is his that's his his problem
0: and yeah and it causes his downfall so like yeah kind of like how i was saying the uh entrapment into a rape accusation comes from a place of villainy so like mm-hmm. it makes sense to me even though i don't really love watching it the fact that his racism is what leads to his defeat is yeah. you know uh, it's classic storytelling right like it's it's come up, yeah, yeah. it's 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 appropriate for him even though i don't love watching people be racist right like <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah. so that's there um yeah so like It's interesting because it's like the all the framework stuff is really good. The beat-to-beat storytelling. Yeah. The structure. I think as you highlighted, the way that the character stuff and the plot stuff really tends to resolve at the same time.
1: Efficient writing.
0: Very efficient writing, yeah. You know,
1: um, yeah.
0: The actual content that is being treated efficiently is not Mm -hmm. my favorite. Yeah. But the way that it is done is very good. So like... Yeah, yeah this is one of those, like they're all good episodes, right? It's a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the ways in which it is good is like, puts it a little below some other episodes for me.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in, a uh, uh, you know, top whatever list. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Because of the other stuff. Good. Like some, s- some really good gags and moments.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I think we, we went on about it. Like the whole short scene with Dennis was wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, a, like a, a comedy bit written around a calculator, you can't, can't, can't you deny, can't, can't, can't deny. But yeah. yeah, uh So yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag. um But the thing about mixed bags when it comes to the Rockford Files is that the peaks are great, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that just makes the valleys a little bit of a shame. You know?
0: <laughs> right. All right. So. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it.
1: This is we're starting our countdown to the end. We are starting the countdown to 17, the end. 17 T minus 17 episodes. Well, now we're T minus 16 episodes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our next couple episodes are going to be our uh, final final survey for Ivan Dixon. So we'll talk about him a little more. Probably oh, yeah. in the last episode to a roundup about him, because as we said, he did direct, I think, nine, 12. A good amount. I mean, you know. He's no, uh, he's no William Wired. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're already forgetting the guy whose name we mispronounced. So many times. Yeah. So many times. But
0: yeah, he did direct nine episodes, which is in the top. I think it's like Bill Wired. And then there's like two or three directors that did like nine, 10, 11 episodes. Yeah. So I've <laughs> Dixon's in that, in that band. Um, so yeah, so we have a couple more of his episodes and those are going to be our next couple. Uh, so yeah. Thanks for being here. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) We'll have some more. And these are some good, uh, I mean, some good ones. They're all good ones. Uh, We we're getting into some of the really good titles that we just somehow have not done yet uh, for our next couple episodes. So you can look forward to that. That all said, we will, of course, be back next time to talk about another episode directed by Ivan Dixon of The Rockford Files.